once more with feeling. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. <clears throat> I can say Merry Christmas now, right? So, all right. I encourage you to go ahead, stand to your feet, and uh, sing with your whole heart. You've known these songs since preschool, so whether you're in preschool or post-school, these are the ones we know. So sing with your whole heart.
angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth you who sang creation's story now proclaim messiah's birth come and worship come and worship worship christ the newborn king Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er their flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, come have your way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Worship Christ, the newborn King. God is with us even now. His love is here. Come and worship Christ of Christ, the newborn King. God is with us even now. His love is here. His love is here. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises. Emmanuel. Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Good morning and welcome to Hebrew and Baptist Church. We exist to glorify God by inviting every person to take their next steps towards Christ. My name is Alan and it is such a joy to join with you all in worship today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and it's so much fun now that we can sing Christmas songs. I'm having a lot of fun. Hope you are too. 
Well, if you're a guest here today, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you're here in person or online. We're so glad that you're here today. We'd love to get to know you. One way we can do that is through a Connect card. A Connect card is just a card in the pew in front of you. If you would pull that out and fill that out, that'll let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can serve you. Then after service, if you exit through these central doors and turn left, you'll see our Next Steps desk. There you can turn that card in there. Someone there would be happy to answer any questions that you may have about our church and also give you a free gift. So welcome guests. We're so glad that you're here today. We're going to transition now to a moment of prayer. As we do, I ask that we all prepare our hearts for our act of worship through giving later in the service. So would you please join with me in prayer? Good morning, Heavenly Father. Lord, we come to you today with so many things to be thankful for. Still in the spirit of thanksgiving, God, thank you for giving us so, so very much. Lord, this morning we lift up to you our core value of biblical faithfulness. And we thank you, God. We thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of your holy scriptures, that in the pages of the Bible you reveal yourself to us, this love letter to us. Thank you that you've not left us in the dark. You've not been silent toward us, but you've spoken to us. We know who our creator is. We know that we're sinners. We know that we need a savior and that you are just that for us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us and Lord, we ask that you would allow us to be more and more faithful, that we'd be faithful to your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Please let it be on our lips, in our families, in our church body, in our D groups, in our life groups, just everywhere we go, Lord. I pray that more and more it would be natural for your word to be on our lips and that you would make us faithful to it. Lord, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters worshiping you today all the way in England, in London, at Mosaic Multicultural Church. Thank you for this, this church that we get to partner with, led by Alex Brito, pastor and church planter. We pray that today that you would re refresh this local body with the good news of your love and of your word, that they would be more and more faithful to your word. We ask that you would bless them as they study through the gospel of Mark, that as they go through this gospel, that you would reveal yourself to them and call them and bless them, that you would use them in a mighty way where they are. Lord, we lift it to you a number of health concerns in our midst. You know all of these. You know those who are struggling, many who have had the flu, and, and many other more serious things. Lord, would you please be our healer? We lift up all these concerns to you. And finally, Lord, we lift up to you our greatest need, that we need a Savior. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of your holy standards. We, we thank you for your holiness, Lord, for your perfect character, but we have all fallen short of that. We thank you that though we have sinned, you have sent Jesus Christ, your son, who never sinned, who walked on this earth as a human, fully God, fully man, who lived perfectly but then died in our place, a sacrificial death that we deserve to die. Thank you for his sacrifice. Again, in the spirits of thanksgiving, we thank you most of all for the love you've shown to us through Jesus, through his death, and not just that, but through his resurrection. Thank you that he rose again we ask that you would wash us clean through his sacrifice and that we would worship you in the power of his resurrection today. We continue to worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please stand up and we'll uh, continue. This is Away in the Manger. Now, the, the world is really comfortable with the baby Jesus, right? Because baby Jesus is helpless. As we know, the baby Jesus grew up, didn't he? And it won't be the baby Jesus that we face one day in judgment. So, but uh, this song is a celebration of the, the, 
birth of Christ away in the manger.
to us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. The Messiah, oh, to see him, to see him high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a son is given. For unto us a child is born. A son is given, a son is given, the Messiah. Oh, to see him, to see him high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. High and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Unto us a child is born, holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born, holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born, holy, holy, holy. For unto us a child is born, holy, holy, holy.
good morning. Welcome. As you can tell, if you're one of our members or regular attenders, I am not Sean Dobbins. Uh, Pastor Sean is on vacation this morning, and so uh, he's asked me to start our series uh, in uh, what we're calling Christmas Playlist. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1. So if you want to begin to turn there, that's going to be, if you want to use the Bible in front of you in the pew, that's page 908. But we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. Well, those of you who know me very well know that I stinking love Christmas. It is my favorite time of year. If I had enough money, our house would look like the Griswold house. Um, but I don't, so it doesn't. Um, and there's that whole pesky HOA thing. But um, yeah, so I love Christmas. I love this time of year. I love the fact that for about a month, um, the gospel is going out on the radio, on secular radio. <laughs> I love the idea that um, I, I spent some time uh, in the past in a, in, a, um, in, a, in a predominantly Muslim country in Asia, and, um, but most of the malls are owned by people from other countries, and a lot of them happen to be Christians. So you're walking through the mall in a predominantly Muslim country, and um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing comes in over the radio. And, um, I just love that. I, but you, as strange as that seemed to me at the time, walking in the, one of the most secular countries in the world, and yet uh, walking through the mall, you may also hear Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Well, songs, music, is something that defines this time of year for many of us. Um, I'm sure you all, all of us probably have our favorite Christmas songs. Uh, they may be for different reasons. Maybe you just like the tune. I mean, you just can't beat Greensleeves. Da, 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 da. I mean, it's just a great melody. That's why it's lasted over a thousand years, right? Um, maybe you have a memory associated with a Christmas song. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe there's a particular song that was maybe your parent or grandparent's favorite song. And so every time you hear it, you think of that person. Uh, perhaps the meaning of the lyrics themselves. You know, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but singing all the verses, the one that, that we hear on the radio, the one that we frequently sing when we sing Christmas carol, we miss Verse 3 and 4, well, in the original had a lot more verses than that. It's Charles Wesley wrote that hymn, and he never wrote a hymn that just had four verses. They usually had 16 or 20. Um, and that one just has some incredibly meaningful, powerful theological lyrics that we miss out when we only sing the first verse. So it's one of the reasons why we tend to sing all the verses of hymns here. Um, so maybe it's just the objective meaning of the lyrics Maybe, though, and, and, and this sort of expands the category outside of just Christmas songs, of, of Christmas hymns, but even, um, even the sort of the secular Christmas carols, as they call them, um, maybe you relate to the lyrics. So maybe every time Christmas shoes comes on, you start to tear up a little bit because it reminds you of your relationship with your parent or your child. Or um, maybe, uh, if you, maybe you're like me, and every time Little Drummer Boy comes on, you go... Argh. I'm not a fan of that song. Um, I, I do have, a, as much as I love Christmas, I have an allergy to cheesiness, and that's just one of those. Anyway, uh, but, but maybe for you, that's how you picked your favorite song. Maybe uh, the, the relatability of the lyrics, maybe even some of the more uh, romantically inclined Christmas songs that made you think of, 
Maybe it came out in a time when you were just, just dating somebody or, or whatever, and so you relate to those lyrics. What we're going to be doing in this series over the next four weeks is looking at Christmas songs in the Bible. And we're going to look at four specific Christmas songs. And my hope is, and our hope, uh, Pastor Sean and I, as, as we preach through this series, is that you will uh, see it not just as the song someone else sang, someone else wrote, about something that happened to someone else, but that as you hear these songs, as we walk through and dive into these songs, that you would receive the songs, and that you would, you would, that you would bury them in your heart, and they would become not just Mary's song, or Simeon's song, or Zechariah's song, but they would become your song. And so that's my prayer this morning as we look at, at Luke chapter 1. So hopefully you found it. Um, again, it's in the Pew Bible in uh, 908. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, and we're going to look all the way through to 55. So if you would uh, follow along in your copy of God's Word, as I read aloud, um, this text that has been known historically as the Magnificat, uh, well, but this is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. Let's pray and commit these words to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read together and think together and pray together and consider these words, we pray that we would think about them rightly, that we would receive from the words what you mean by them, that we would not import our own meaning. Lord, we, we pray that we would not shape them into our image, but that you would shape us into yours. Help us to know, to believe, and to, to put into practice the words we hear from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today, as we look at this text, the first, we're going to see three things, I hope. But the first thing we're going to see is that because God has done something, we sing. Because God has done something, we sing. We sing. The thing, as we look at this text as a whole, that should really stick out to us, and we should not miss this, is that Mary's desire in singing this song is to draw attention, not to herself, but to God. Now, the context that we find this text in, if you're unfamiliar, if, you're, if you maybe you're new to the story, is that Mary has just found out uh, both that she will carry the, uh, the newborn Jesus and that her sister will carry the forerunner of Jesus, that is John the Baptist. And she is rejoicing in what God has given to her and to her, her, her cousin, 
Elizabeth. She's rejoicing in the coming Jesus, her Savior, who she will give birth to. But I want to draw attention to the text here. It says, the mighty one has done great things. This is, again, Mary pointing to God as uh, the one who should receive credit and glory and honor. She says, his name is holy, again, drawing attention to God. And then the rest of the action of this text is in the third person, and God is the subject. So if we walk away from this text having received any word other than may God be glorified, we have missed what the text is saying entirely. But many over the years have looked at this text and have walked away with a different meaning to this text. And if we look at it, we can understand why. If we look, and we'll look more at this uh, in a little while, but it says uh, in verse um, 48, Sorry, my eyes are failing me. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's important, and we're, again, we're going to look more at this verse specifically uh, in a little while, but for now, it's important for us to, to note that word blessed, what it means. Mary's blessedness is alien. Okay, and by alien, I don't mean green with, you know, antenna. I mean alien as in apart from herself. It comes from outside of her. To say that she is blessed is not to say that there is anything praiseworthy or supernatural about her person, but that she has received blessing from God, that God has blessed her uniquely. And that blessedness is not in her, but it is from God. It is not, in, in other words, it is not intrinsic to her. It is not, it is not coming, the blessing is not from her. It's not something she was born with. It is something that God has done. So our point was God has done something, so we sing. What has God done? Well, one of the most beautiful parts of this text, in my opinion, is when she says his, that she says his mercy is from generation to generation. Now, why is that significant? Well, I, I hope um, if, as we think about this for a minute, this will come, become clear. Before the angels came and pronounced the birth of Jesus, before Zechariah's prophecy, before the opening of the New Testament, for 400 years, the people of Israel had received nothing but silence from God. They had undergone uh, uh, a, an, a rebellion against the, their against the, the oppressive Roman government and had been squashed in that rebellion and they had felt completely and utterly abandoned by God. Have you ever felt completely and utterly abandoned by God? I, I know that they did. And so for Mary to say that his mercy is from generation to generation, she is saying that God was not unfaithful for those 400 years but that he was building an anticipation for the grandest entrance, the grandest message, the most exciting news in the history of mankind to be unveiled by angels. And she says, his mercy is from generation to generation. It says he has scattered the proud and lifted up the lowly. And you think to yourself, how has he done this simply in making Mary pregnant? 
How has he done this in sending Jesus the baby? Well, here's what's interesting. Think about the reigning monarch of the, of the area and his response to the knowledge of this coming baby boy. What happens? How does he respond? He becomes paranoid and genocidal. He puts out an order that all the babies of the area, Jewish-born baby boys, be killed, every one of them. What do you think that's going to do for him politically? Do you think that's going to earn him a lot of favor from his people? I very seriously doubt it. He risked all of that because he saw Jesus as a threat to his reign. So, Jesus, even as a baby, is scattering the proud and lifting up the lowly. What God has done in Jesus Christ is truly praiseworthy. I think about, um, for those of you, most of you know probably, I started riding a motorcycle this summer. I bought a new bike this summer. Um, it's been a lot of fun, except for days like today, not so much. But, um, and, and I get comments on it because of the particular one I bought. People will come by and they'll say, oh, that's a cool bike or whatever. And usually it's people that don't ride a bike and they don't really know the difference from one motorcycle to the other, and that's fine. Um, I don't, I, I didn't either. Um, but um, they'll say, oh, it's cool because it's kind of like vintage and old looking, even though it's not, it's a new bike. But, and they'll go on and on about it. Now, if I would say, well, if I were to say, oh, well, I'm so cool because you think that I have a cool motorcycle, I missed the point. What did I do? I didn't build it. I didn't paint it. All I did was pick it out. And I wasn't even all that discerning. It was basically the cheapest one I could find. So, I mean, there's no part of that process in which you should look at that motorcycle and go, Mark is a super cool guy who knows all kinds of cool stuff about motorcycles because he doesn't. It was, I get 90 miles to the gallon and it was cheaper than a car. So that's how that worked out for me. Um, if I were to think, when someone said, oh, your bike is cool, I would say, if I were like, oh, I'm such a big deal because I had this cool cheap bike, um, that would be foolish because I would be missing the point of the compliment. They're complimenting my bike. They're not complimenting me. I'm not cool. I don't have a cool paint job. Um, that's weird. Um, it, it's silly. And for us to look at this text, after all the work that Mary has done, to point to God, and if we were to look at this text and say, Oh, look how awesome Mary is. Mary is pulling her hair out. No! <laughs> this isn't about me. This is about God. Our, unfortunately, um, our Roman Catholic friends have misunderstood this particular text and others like it to lift up Mary as something more than what she is. She's certainly blessed, and future generations will call her blessed, as we'll look at more later. But we need not see Mary as a savior or as a, um, as a mediator or as anything other than the one who gets the privilege of giving birth to our Savior Jesus. She herself is pointing to God, and so we should look to God to give glory for what's happening. In Genesis chapter 1 through 3, we, we see the story of God creating the earth. He puts a man and a woman in the garden, and um, there's a moment in, after, actually after sin has entered into the world, we get a glimpse of what life was like. It says that right before God the, pronounces judgment in the garden on the man and the woman, it says he walked with them in the coolness of the day, indicating that this was something he did regularly, that God's 
that, that the people, the man and the woman, experience God's presence in a physical way on a day-to-day basis. And yet because of their sin, they're kicked out of the garden. They're kicked out of God's presence. That's what that means. It's not just that, oh, there was such good fruit there, and now I miss the good fruit. That's not the point of the separation they experienced in the garden. The separation they experienced was not from the garden they tilled, but from the God that they dwelt with. And God sets up an angel with a flaming sword, preventing them from ever, ever coming back into God's presence again. But the good news and the reason that, that this Mary writes and sings this song is that God is leaving the garden and he's coming down to us. He's walking past the angel with the flaming sword. In fact, you might even argue that in the death of Christ on the cross, he takes that flaming sword for us and makes the way open for us to be with God. God walked among us in the coolness of the day in Jesus Christ. And we ought to rejoice as Mary did. It's important for us to realize that as, we, as, we, as many of us might read this thing and say, oh, this is something that happened to a person thousands of years ago. It happened to Mary. Uh, whatever the weird circumstances was, were in which she became pregnant, cool, great story happened to Mary. Good, good for her. What has that got to do with me? The God that Mary sings about is not just the God of the Jews. It's not just a local deity. It isn't just... Um, the God of Nazareth or the God of Jerusalem or the God of Israel. This is the God of the nations, of the world. This isn't a local thing. So this is what's happening to Mary is not just happening to Mary, it's happening to every human being who was around at the time, but also to every human being who's ever lived and ever will live. This is a song for eternity the song of Jesus who came and dwelt among us. There's a message here for unplanned pregnancies. Now, um, you might say to yourself, um, this would, the argument that your baby could be baby Jesus is not the best argument to not have an abortion. And you'd be right, that's ridiculous. Jesus already came. But, if we were to go through the Bible and look at all of the unplanned pregnancies, we see a long line of blessing where God has blessed a parent, a mother, a father with a child they didn't expect. This is a blessing. And so we need to be reminded from this text, from this story, that Jesus was an unplanned pregnancy and the blessing of his birth has never been exhausted. Still don't know all of the blessing that has come in Jesus Christ. And so we need to see every child in the womb as a blessing, regardless of the circumstances that they came there, because God delights to bless us in children. To the Christian who's Heart is just not in it. And in this time of year, in terms of our, our singing together, this time of year, um, there are great temptations because we sing in Christmas carols uh, during our, our singing time corporately. It's very tempting uh, to sort of, 
It's really easy to, to just go into autopilot as we sing these songs, especially this time of year. So to the Christian whose heart is not in worship, whether it's now or another time, who, when we're singing, you're just like, I just don't feel like it. To you and to myself, when I feel this way, because this is an experience we all experience, begin with meditating not on yourself or whether or not God has done anything for you lately. Begin with what he has already done in creating and redeeming the world. That's what Mary is doing. In, her, in this moment, she's rejoicing in what God has done, not just now, by the way, because you notice she moves her way out in abstraction. She doesn't just keep talking about this baby Jesus to come, but she draws out into general praise. The mighty one has done great things for me. Not great thing, great things she is praising God for all the things he's done. His name is holy. This isn't a new revelation. His name has been holy from the day that we first heard it and before then. His mercy is from generation to generation. Let us take a moment when our heart is not right before God and we're trying to sing and we're trying to, to make that right. Take a moment to dwell in what God has already done. Even if you might be experiencing that 400 years of silence like the people of Israel did. Consider what God has already done and perhaps what he is doing that you do not see and rejoice in God your Savior. We begin our liturgy together under normal circumstances and even this morning, although we heard it from our, our mission partners and brother and sister Chris and Rhonda Richard who are uh, currently in Argentina serving the Lord. Um, we begin our time of worship together hearing from what God has done. God speaks first and we respond. We don't sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and come up with something cool to say to God. He begins by speaking to us. And that's, that's going to be our next point. First we saw that um, because God has done something we sing. Secondly we see because we are moved to praise we sing. You see, God didn't just leave us to, to sort of come to him on our own, but he moves us. If we look at the text, she says, my soul magnifies. Now, it, if you were reading along in a CSB print copy or uh, the pew copy in front of you, um, you would have heard me say, um, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. But if you're reading in virtually any other English translation, you'll see the word, my soul magnifies the Lord. And as a matter of fact, if you actually were looking at the digital version of the Christian Standard Bible, which is the Bible we preach from and the one that's in the pew rack, they have since changed back to magnify because that's the historic word we use. That's where the text gets its name from. If you come from maybe a Roman Catholic or a more liturgical background, you've heard this text referred to as the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for that first uh, phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, but what's interesting is that construction. If you've read the Bible a bunch, you might gloss over this, but this is a really strange grammatical construction. My soul magnifies. She doesn't say, I magnify. I magnify the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies. It's almost like she's having an out-of-body experience, and she's like, what am I doing? This is crazy. My soul is magnifying the Lord. 
Now, let's just take a moment and look at that word magnify, by the way. That, that's going to appear in most of our English translations. And, and it's important. And part of the reason, I think, why the CSB changed that word is because we're inclined to see that and think that we're making more of God than he is, right? So if, we, um, if we're magnifying God, that means we're sort of trumping him up. We're, we're, we're making up some idea about God, like we're making more of him. Um, then maybe he's not that such a big deal. If we didn't magnify him, would he be small? And the answer is no. But that's not exactly what magnified means. If you've ever looked through a microscope at a single-cell organism or something like that, or a piece of skin, what would normally be very mundane becomes very, very intricate, and you realize that there is a glory in that small thing that you wouldn't know about unless you magnified it, unless you put it under a micro microscope. This is the sense of the magnification of God. We're not making him bigger. He's huge. <laughs> he created the world. He sustains every breath you make. He doesn't need to be made bigger. What we do when we sing is make him more visible and audible. To help our brothers and sisters who are going through that 400 years of silence. When we sing together, we are making God visible by the look on our faces. Perhaps you don't think much about that when you sing. You should, by the way. <laughs> Those of us who spend time on stage and look out, some, some of you are so encouraging with your facial expressions that are just lifted to the Lord. Some of us, not so much. I'm, not look, I'm gonna look over here so I don't look at any individual people. Some of us don't have that smiling face when we sing. Okay, I'm, okay now I'm not looking at anybody anymore. I said, but when we sing, when we worship together, we make God visible with our hands lifted up, with our face lit up like a Christmas tree because of the truth of what we're singing. We make God visible. And when we sing at the top of our lungs, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs encouraging one another, we are making God audible. The people around us are hearing the word of God sung to them by their neighbor. That's your job. When we gather together, that's our job together, to make God audible and visible as we are moved to praise. And then second, so she says, my soul magnifies, so she's like having this out-of-body experience saying, what is, what, what is this doing to me? What is this news doing to me? It's changing me. It's making me do things I wouldn't normally do. And then she says, my spirit rejoices. This is a joyful experience. It's not like she's like, well, God gave me a baby, so I guess I'll sing a song. No. She rejoices. Do you know what she's about to go through? Moms, do you know what she's about to go through? How many of you guys are rejoicing through that? She's rejoicing. In God, her Savior. It is a joyful experience. It's not just her duty. It is her delight. When um, we gather together as a family around the table to eat dinner, I, I've gotten in the habit of, and this is, I've gotten in the habit of sitting down and eating a couple of bites after we've prayed and we're starting to eat. And I'll say, thank, you know, if, if let's say Wendy cooked dinner, which, so, which most of the times is the case. Uh, thank you, Mommy, for making dinner. I'll say it like that. And the kids go, thank you, Mommy, for making dinner. 
And I'm, I'm like, I know that Wendy's heart is just growing in pride, you know. Um, but why do I do that? Do I want my kids forever to get that obligatory, thank you, Mom? And sometimes it's, I, some, I, I'm cooking more now because Wendy started working, and so I'm having to help cook too. So I, I'm having this experience also. Thank you, Daddy, for cooking. Do I, want, do I want my kids to spend the rest of their lives with an obligatory, thank you, Daddy, for making dinner? Do I want that? No, I don't. I realize that to start a heart of thankfulness, it's got to be duty first. I've got to teach them to be thankful. So it's not going to be very, very realistic or heartfelt. I recognize that. But eventually, I want them to, to, I want them to give thanks out of the joy in their heart for enjoying the food. Now, that's another issue, right? <laughs> because kids don't often enjoy the food that we put in front of them unless it's macaroni and cheese every day. Um, they, don't, they don't enjoy, you know, when we set out the kind of food that we want to eat. Right? We're hoping eventually they'll learn to enjoy it. But isn't that how we really are? Don't we find ourselves in situations where it's like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. I'm supposed to, you know, I don't know how many of you guys maybe sit around the table this week during Thanksgiving and like have a tradition of everybody walk, you know, going around and saying something they're thankful for. And there's the one or two people that don't like speaking in front of other people. And so they'll just like, um, I'm, I'm thankful for my family and for time spent together. And, you know, and then so hopefully then they can move on and not have to say it anymore. Isn't that how we are sometimes? Don't we lack in thankfulness on occasion? I think so. And it would be just for God to say, well, if you're not going to be thankful, I'm just going to quit blessing you. Because wouldn't you? <laughs> if it were you, after a while, you stop doing the thing that's not, that people aren't grateful for. Do any of you have a thankless job? How many teachers do we have, right? Like, after a while, don't you just want to say, forget it, teach yourselves. Like, <laughs> they're not grateful, right? Isn't that how we are? What if God did that? He didn't leave us. He changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes us into a different person. God in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of the law, if you think about Leviticus, God gives us all these instructions on how to worship him. And most of it revolves around killing an animal and cutting it open and splitting the blood and guts all over the place. Um, and, you're, and you're wondering, like, what is this for? And, um, and, you're, and, and, and for the longest time, the people of Israel just read this and said, okay, I'm just going to follow these instructions and surely God will be happy with me. And as we read the New Testament and we go back and interpret the old based on the new, which is what you're supposed to do as a Christian, um, we realize that what God had in mind was not just this list of things that if we just mark them off, he's happy with us. We see that in Christ, God has come and made us into different people. People who don't just follow instructions without our heart involved, without our mind engaged, but a people who worship God because they want to. What a crazy, novel idea. What if we came to church because we wanted to? 
What if we sang at the top of our lungs, not just because one of us on stage makes you feel bad for not doing so, but because you wanted to? What if we went out into the world and shared the gospel despite how scary it is sometimes, not because we told you to, but because you wanted to? This is what it means to be changed by God. And this is what God is doing and sending Jesus. He's not just giving us a law to follow hopelessly, but he gives us the Holy Spirit through the Spirit of Christ, he is called, to make us rejoice. Not, by the way, to take our free will away, but to make us into a kind of person who wills that God is lifted up, who looks like Mary, who gives glory to God instead of drawing it onto herself. If you're an unbeliever among us, this part might be the craziest part of the whole thing. Because maybe you've come uh, because a friend has invited you, or maybe you're watching us online uh, because somebody said that you should check us out, um, and you're struggling to think of how could you ever want to do any of this stuff. I don't sing. I'm not a singer. I don't talk to strangers. I don't do that kind of stuff. That seems crazy. I'm actually kind of a loner. I don't really like being around people. So why would I want to be part of a church? All of those things might seem counter, completely counter to who you are. And you'd be right. It's counter to who our, what our nature is. Our nature is not naturally bent toward being moved to praise. Our nature is not naturally bent toward magnifying God. In fact, Romans 1 tells us our nature is bent toward drawing attention to other things to making idols. Now, most, if not all of you, probably have never built an idol and, you know, like a statue and put it in your house. Maybe you have. Um, but all of us construct idols in our life. All of us lift up elements of our life higher than God. That's our natural inclination. So that's why I, that's why I say what I say when I say that we need to be changed. And that's what God did. He didn't leave us. He came to us. And if we would turn from our sins and trust in him, he wouldn't just give us something else to do. Yeah, do this first. But he gives us his Holy Spirit, and it makes us different. That's why when, when someone comes to us, to, uh, one, one of the pastors to say, hey, I want my child to be baptized, or I want to be baptized, we take a while and we watch. Because because getting new life in Christ, being converted is an old word we use, um, doesn't just mean that you understood the gospel, you're ready to join the church and help serve. Those are all great things, but that's not what the Christian life is. It starts when you are changed, when God changes you. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he's willing to do. This, this movement to praise is the thing that draws a group together like this. You look around the room, we got people from different countries. We've got people that are different ages, that, are di that might vote for different political parties, that are from different socioeconomic statuses and levels of education and exp life experience. It makes no sense for this group of people to be together, together right now. Do you ever think about that? You ever look around and say, why in the world am I sitting in the same room as these people? Hopefully it's not quite that condescending. 
But it's weird. Do you ever sit in a group this diverse anywhere else except for maybe the drugstore when you're waiting on your meds? This is a weird gathering. It's strange. It's supposed to be strange. And why, what in the world would draw people like us together? What would it do? What would, what would do it? The spirit that moves us to praise, the same spirit that moves Mary to praise is the same spirit that moves our hearts to sing. And when we start singing the same song, then we look next to us and go, oh yeah, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's why we're here. We're moved to praise by the same spirit and responding to the same great works of God that Mary's responding to. That's what draws us together. That's what this motley crew is made of. Isn't that awesome? There's nothing like it. We are very tempted to segregate out that movement of the Spirit. We want, for Sunday morning, we want our hearts to be rejoicing, we want to sing at the top of our lungs, and we want to walk out that door and then be like everybody else after that. The singing is over. <laughs> no more singing. <laughs> Unless it's in the car by yourself or in the shower by yourself, right? But that's not what the Christian life is like either. We aren't just moved to praise here. We're moved to praise in other places. We were watching uh, a movie last night, Wendy and I were, and uh, there's this, it was British actors, and one of the actors, one of the lines, he says, well, glory be. And Wendy's like, what does that even mean? It was like, well, he didn't finish the sentence. Glory be to God. We don't say stuff like that anymore. I think maybe we were afraid we were going to offend somebody. But I think it's okay to shout a little praise the Lord every once in a while when things are going well. Praise God. So sometimes we, we have this automatic reaction, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. We don't mean anything by it, right? But that is a normal expression, not just in here, but in the rest of our lives. Let us not segregate the movement of praise to this place. But so the first thing we saw is that because God has done something, we sing. Secondly, we see because God has moved us to praise, we sing. Lastly, because others will want to join. Mind blow. You might be surprised to know this. Other people want to join. If they knew what you know, if they had what you have in this place, they would want to join in. Not just join the church. They would want to sing at the top of their lungs. God has people out there who want to hear this story. How do I know? Because Mary told us. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me and his name is holy. All generations... God has done great things for me, Mary, but all generations will call me blessed. Does she mean, oh, just the people who get to know me real well? They'll he'll hear my story because I'll tell them the story and they'll, be, they'll, they'll know that I'm blessed. Or like, okay, so like my old family and all my friends, and they'll tell their kids and that'll be... No, everyone who hears this story for generations and generations and generations will call her blessed. You know how I know that? You're here. It's been 2,000 years and we're still telling this story. 
That's what Mary means. Not that to draw attention to herself, but the fact that what's happening to her right now is so important that we'll never, ever stop talking about it. We will never, ever stop singing about it. In persecuted countries where it's illegal to sing, we're not going to stop. People go to the stake singing it. They don't shut up about it. We will not be silenced because of the good news that's in this song. We can't get enough of it. I love backpacking. If you know me very well, in fact, I think pretty much every time I preach, I make some comment about backpacking. And everybody gives me a hard time because I tell these stories about the awful things that have happened while we've been on the trail, especially with our children. And you think to yourself, why in the world do you keep torturing yourself like that? Um, I have four children, and we, uh, my parents always told me, before I had kids, they said, this is their advice with parenting, they said, do what you want and take your kids. Don't let your kids, like, not keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do those things and figure out how to get, get them involved in it. So that's what we've always done. Um, and it's getting more fun, more fun, they're getting older, they can carry more weight, that makes a huge difference. Um, but you, but uh, people ask me this all the time. Why do you keep torturing your kids like that? Um, it's because they deserve it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because I firmly believe, and I've told my kids this, and if you ask them, they'll tell you the same thing. But they'll tell you I said this. They don't believe it, but they'll tell you I've said it. All the best things in the world to see are at the end of a 10-mile hike. I want my kids to think that way. I actually believe it's true, but even if it's not true, I still want them to think that. Why? Because I don't want them to just think that they should be able to just pull up to something and see it. Part of the experience in backpacking is the In fact, the entire experience in backpacking is the journey. Otherwise, you just get a helicopter lifted in, dropped off. Oh, there's the Gray's Arch. Cool, all right. Oh, there's the Grand Canyon. I flew in to see it. Now I'm going home. That's not the fun in it. <laughs> you've missed out if that's what you've done. If all you've done is walked up to, to the edge of the canyon, you've not gone down to Plateau Point, you've missed it. It's incredible. There's like a 25 degree temperature difference. Even that is cool, right? The experience is the going. It's not just the big pretty picture. Honestly, with high-res images now, you can get a great picture of the Grand Canyon without leaving your house. I want my kids to know the joy of getting to the top of a 12,000-foot mountain pass and looking down at, with lungs on fire, by the way, looking down and going, I got it, I got here, and looking around and going, oh my goodness, what has God done? This is gorgeous. There's nothing like this. And something like a half of a half of a percent of the world population is ever going to see anything like this because I love it, because it drives me, because it's one of the things I think about all the time. I want my kids to know what that feels like, how much fun it is, how, how much cool it is afterwards to say, oh, I forgot to bring my, my uh, cooking fuel and I had to cook on the fire the whole time. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Oh, I forgot my, I forgot my tent poles and so I had to make them out of wood. How cool is that? Who gets to, I, I, I didn't have any food, so I caught a rabbit with my bare hands and killed it. How cool is that? Like, who else gets to have these experiences? True story, by the way. I'll tell you about it later if you want to know. Um, 
because of the experience I had, because it has moved me, because it's dominated my spending, because I keep buying more gear, because I love it, and because I know that my children would. If they experience it the way I have, I take them. And I put up with crap in the meantime. I put up with the whining and the muddiness and the sticky hands with the marshmallows and all that. I put up all with all that. Why do I want? Because I know that if they experience what I've experienced, they're going to do it the rest of their lives. They're going to be sunk, stuck in it like I am, <laughs> not able to get out. The gospel's that way. If Jesus, if God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us and broke down the dividing wall between us and him and made a way such that if we turn from our sins and trust in him, that we could be saved. If that's true, doesn't everybody want to know that? If, if you can be changed and actually experience real joy, lasting, real happiness, if that's possible, doesn't everybody want to know that? Won't everyone tell everyone else? Won't that be the best news ever? It is. It is. Because others will want to join, we sing. Ironically, Christmas music has desensitized many to the good news of the gospel. Uh, that means we need to use other means to share, or it means we may need to expound the meeting to our lost friends and neighbors. Great conversation starter. What do you think about that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? What do you think it's about? Great conversation starter. Oh, and I missed this. So this is C.S. Lewis. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Great, uh, great song. Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. Did you see that movie? Wasn't it awesome? Did you see that thunderstorm the other night? Wasn't it awesome? That's what we do. So when we experience God like Mary did, when we know the good news like Mary did, we're going to say, isn't it awesome? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is indeed awesome. Help us, Lord, because others want to hear and they want to join us in singing and being a part of what you're doing in the world. Help us, we pray, to teach it to our children. Like I, I was talking about backpacking a minute ago, Lord, help us to teach the truth of the gospel to our children, to make it a lifestyle that they will want to pass on to their children. Lord, I pray that we would just know how awesome the good news is. And Lord, if there are people here among us, if there's a person here or listening to us online who doesn't know how awesome this is, Lord, I pray that they would reach out to one of us. Lord, I pray that if there's someone even here, that they would stop and talk to me or one of the other uh, Christians here to hear how they might be changed by turning from their sins and trusting in you. Lord, help us to sing these songs out in the world and to tell everybody what they mean because it is just awesome. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet.
on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him on, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate, where ox and ass are speeding? Good Christian, fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be borne for me and you. Hail, hail, the world made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Incense, gold, and myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings a lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings a lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary.
isn't, hasn't it been good to worship together today? Hasn't it been good? The Lord has been good to us, and uh, I'm grateful um, this morning. A few announcements before we have our time of offering, uh, before we worship together that way. Women on Mission want to thank all of those who participated in any way in the Baywack lunch. It was a huge success. We had a ton of people help, and it just it was awesome. So great work. Everybody, thank you for volunteers. Uh, thank you for those who brought food. Um, there is a thank you card in the lobby. Um, there's usually, there's, I don't, most of you probably don't know this. There's a little tiny bulletin board over here, and whenever anybody gives a thank you card to the church, they, we always stick it up there. So just time to time, walk past there, because they stay up there for months on end, so you won't miss it. So just take a look at that. There's, there's a thank you card there. Um, also, by the Next Steps desk, the, um, the people who actually we served made this huge sign um, saying thank you for it. So check that out on your way out the door. It's pretty cool. Next, starting next week, the Lottie Moon, uh, who we, we just heard about the Lottie Moon offering, which goes directly for International Missions, the International Mission Board. Um, uh, those envelopes and prayer guides will be available next Sunday. Uh, so, starting, so starting a week from today is the week of prayer. So we'll have prayer guides that you can be praying for our international missionaries. And then be considering what you might give to this special offering. Uh, here in a few weeks, we'll take up a special offering. We call it March the Manger. Um, and I think I have the date in the bulletin here. Um, well, this one doesn't open, but if you have a bulletin that opens, I'm just kidding. Um, it's March the Manger, December the 11th, during our worship service, we'll have a special offering that Sunday, so be praying about how you might uh, set aside some money uh, to give to that, uh, which again, there, that goes past all the administrative stuff and goes straight to international missions. A vast majority of the budget of the International Mission Board and its missionaries, like Chris and Rhonda, who went out from our own midst, um, a vast majority of their budget comes from this offering. So consider what you might give. Um, in the bulletin here, there's several announcements. There's one more I want to say definitely because it's the last Sunday to do it. Outside, uh, there will be sign-ups at the Next Steps desk for to bring desserts and cookies. Those are important. We need desserts and cookies. Look at me. I need desserts and cookies. Next Sunday evening is our fireside Christmas service. So two items of action for every single person who's here and everybody watching us online. Two items of action. One, sign up to bring cookies or, 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 or desserts. Uh, we have a little bit of a fellowship afterwards, and it's a great opportunity to have the person that you invited to just chit-chat over hot cider and cookies about what they thought. And so the second item, and the most important item, of your agenda for this next week is to invite friends. This event is specifically designed to be something that lost people and unchurched people would be interested in. We're going to be singing Christmas carols that they know. It's going to be a very casual environment. Uh, I, I think the music's going to be pretty good. But um, it's, it's just a fun time for the whole family, so I want to encourage you to invite your friends to come. You won't want to miss it. It's a lot. It's one of my favorite events all year long because I'm the Griswold. But, um, so, so sign up for cookies before you leave. That is super important. Um, There's just a few more Christmas uh, events going on this uh, next month. Uh, December the 18th, we're going to have a, an orchestra, which is pretty cool. The candlelight service on the 24th at 6, not at 6 a.m. Do not come at 6 a.m. on <laughs> December the 24th. 6 p.m., muy importante, 6 p.m., December the 24th. If you come at 6 a.m., you can sing carols in the parking lot if you want to. I won't be here. 
Um, and then we will have service on Christmas Day, the 25th. So that being said, we're going to go in a time of worship. We worship through singing, through hearing God's word, through praying. We're going to worship through giving now. I'm going to pray for our offering, and then can y'all sing and pass plates at the same time? Is that possible? I think you can manage. So we'll sing while we pass the plates. Um, I think you can pull your wall out and all that stuff. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, blessed uh, the, the, this worship time that we're about to have, uh, where we give. I pray that we would give from cheerful hearts, from the abundance that you have given us, uh, that we might support things like the International Mission Board, that we give to every Sunday or every month, not just uh, uh, for the Lottie Moon, but also, Lord, just for the ministries of the church and, and all that. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to worship you through giving with cheerful hearts. And uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born While shepherds kept their watching O'er silent flocks by night Behold throughout the heavens There shone a holy Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. Shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that held the Savior's birth. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. All right, God bless you.